I would say to parents, you know what? You can't take shortcuts here. You got to do the hard work of living what you want them to learn. Live what you want your children to learn. You ain't been there, and then you ain't, and you ain't just this or did that. It don't matter. Just love on them. Or love yourself. So you have to go back and love on them. It's okay. Whatever love on them. When you look back on your life, what's one thing you needed to hear your father say? And, um, that's my experience. And I can only go off of whatever I, I've experienced for almost a decade. Persistence. Persistence don't get you where you gotta go. Chris's first album, we are back for the first time. And I would like to thank you for tuning in to Fatherhood Friday season five with your host, Chalmer. Um, how's it going out there this Friday, whether it's Friday morning, Friday afternoon, or Friday night? Uh, I'm hoping that you are doing well. Um, I'm doing pretty good and I'm excited about today's guest and why am I excited about today's guest is because um, we are going to be discussing and having a conversation around uh, parenting in split families. So often in society, uh, there are families or kids that uh, come from one marriage and come from another marriage. And I have the pleasure of talking to Forrest Tuck uh, he is Atlanta, Georgia's, uh, one of Atlanta, Georgia's most uh, top 500 or 50 influential guys out there from books to filmmaking to producing and even uh, doing social work. Um, allow me to introduce Forrest. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great, Sean. How you doing today? Man, I'm doing good, man. Uh, the sun is out. I I'm wo- I woke up to see another day, so all is well. And, and just so glad that you can join us here on Fatherhood Friday. Yeah, that's right, man. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. No problem. No problem. And so, you know, I was mentioning uh, to the audience today that um, we're going to be talking about you know, parenting kids and split families. And you know this story all too well, correct? Yeah, this is has been my life for the past 18 years. And so um, you, uh, doing a little bit of research, you have three daughters, correct? Yes. Um, t- tell us a little bit about your three daughters. So I have three very similar but different daughters. My oldest jo- daughter, Jordan, is 19. 
She plays collegiate basketball. She's extremely smart, but she loves sports and art. And she loves athletics. You know, she was kind of the tomboy growing up. She loves sports and just loved to go play. Then we have my second daughter, Sydney, who's 17. Uh, she's an academic. She started college at 16. You know, she's very wow. smart. She's also artistically gifted. But her thing is, you know, she really likes academics. She won't admit it, but she loves academics. Mm-hmm. That's her thing. I got you. And then mm-hmm. my baby girl, Skylar, she is the child of the family, but she's also a firstborn. And I'll tell you about that later on as we talk. Okay, okay, okay. But she's uh, feisty. She loves acting. You know, she loves having a good time and she loves her big sisters. So those are my three daughters. Wow. So it sounds like you definitely have your hands full, you know, having three girls ranging from three different ages. I mean, before we kind of get into your story and your background, I mean, how's it been in the pandemic, you know, with with your three girls? You know, interestingly enough, it's been actually great for us because we like to talk and play games and, you know, get on the PlayStation and have fun. You know, it's one of those things for me to actually have all my daughters with me here at one time and for us to get along and, you know, just to be able to talk and work through our differences in that degree. For me, that's just that's just a dream come true. And it's a it's been a great experience for me just having that time with them. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I know things, you know, as I was talking to you in the pre-show, wasn't always a dream. And I'm not going to say it was a nightmare, but it was definitely a work in progress. And so take us back uh, to the beginning of, of you, you know, because your, your oldest daughter is an athlete. And, you know, you shared with me that you played Division One basketball. Take us to that time period of playing Division One basketball and, and meeting your first wife. So back when I was in college, I played in North Carolina and... I played Division One basketball, and I had dreams like. That. So you're a Tar Heel? No, not tar, not Tar Heel. I played at Western Carolina University, but it was in okay. Western Carolina University. Western Carolina University. Okay. And so I had dreams, like many people, to play in the NBA. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for me. You know, due to other circumstances, I was not able to play. I severed the nerves in my shooting hand, and so therefore I could no longer play sports. So with that, I had to find out what else there was to do in life and like so many you know people going after you know if you were trying to become a doctor or trying to become a, a scientist i didn't have a plan b to be honest with you mine was basketball or okay and so i had to get into the workforce and it just was not something that i was really ready for you know i had worked at jobs before i had a job working at chick-fil-a but now i'm working at Foot Locker. i come out of school i'm working at Foot Locker and I'm in sales, I'm changing people's shoes, and I'm thinking, this is not the life that I saw, right? But time goes forward, you know, I I move back to Atlanta. I leave Carolina, I move back to Atlanta. And so at around 2000, I met my first wife. Um, We got married and we had a child in 2001, and her name is Jordan. And so from there, that's where life changed, you know, now had a new purpose in life. It was my children. You know, I grew up in a family of five with my mother and father. So I was ecstatic about starting this new phase of life. You know, it gave me a new purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that dream got crushed because of the things that happened with us. 
We ended up getting a divorce. And at this time, I now have two daughters. And with that, my wife was from North Carolina. My ex-wife was from North Carolina and she moved back to Carolina. And now I'm in Georgia. And so now the plot thickens. I'm actually a father that does not have his kids. So that is the premise of how it all started. Wow. Okay. And so you're you're a father, you know, you 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 get married pretty much, you know, year or two out of college. You think you're going to have this grand grandioso life because you have a daughter and now you have a second one. But then for whatever reason, things take a left turn. And now you and your first wife are filing for divorce. And now you have two girls. What were some of the challenges you faced parenting your two girls while you being in Georgia and now they're in North Carolina coming back and forth? The hardest challenge was not being there for them every single day. You know, my parents were there every day. I didn't go long extended times without having my parents. So to be in this place and they're being so young, that was hard for me. You know, and I would talk to them on the phone. They would go, hey, dad, where are you? Can you tell it's snowing outside? Do you see the snow outside? You know, and that hurt mm-hmm. because they don't realize you're six hours away. You know, they think maybe you're mm-hmm. more, mm-hmm. just a job. So the hardest part for me was number one, just not having my children there. And it was increasingly difficult because I didn't feel like I could protect them. And as a father, mm-hmm. that's something that we have. We want to protect our children, and especially when we have daughters. You want to be there to protect them. So for me, that was the single hardest thing in a nutshell. And there were so many other factors that caused that. But that was the one thing, if I could say, was the hardest part. is just not being able to see them every day. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's often the story of, of, of many dads is hard cry or window pane is that not being able to see uh, your daughter every day, whether you're six hours away, whether the the mother doesn't want you to see them for whatever reason or, or many other circumstances. And so, you know, what, what was that like, you know, traveling six hours to see them and, you know, those conversations that you had to have with them while you were up there in North Carolina? You know, I remember when my oldest had her first game and my second daughter, Sydney, had her first play. I remember them saying, hey, Dad, you going to come up to see the game? And I remember thinking to myself, I have to rearrange my schedule, take time off, book a hotel, find out all these things to go watch a seven-year-old play a basketball game, to watch a five-year-old in a play. And I'll be honest with you, it was a hard decision. Now, the decision wasn't hard to go see them. It's just that I realized this is going to be my life over the next 13, 14 years. In order to be a part wow. of their life, I know that I have to take this six-hour drive. I've got to book hotel rooms. Now, and, and keep in mind, I'm also financially supporting my kids because I think that's a part of it. If you, know, you have joint custody, but they live in different states, the mother had custody custody during the school year but I had to financially take care of my kids and so now I'm having to you know take on other finances to be a part of their life and and it was very hard it was a struggle because those type of things you don't consider but I couldn't make that their issue 
You know, I had to make sure that they knew right. dad was there. If, if I said I was going to be there, then you know dad's going to be there. That was the one thing I promised him. If I say I'm going to be there, you can count on that. And I'm not going to be there every time, but when I say I am, hold on to that. So I had to find something that they could hold on to and, and give me a little bit of leeway in my absence when I could be there. Yeah, man. I mean, when, 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 when I hear your story, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's tough because, you know, you're, you're doing all that you can that's within your control. You know, you're paying child support, you're coming up in there, you're coming there during the summertime to pick them up. You're coming there uh, when you promise them to come see them play basketball games and you know, they have no clue of your backstory that, you know, you had to travel six hours one way, stay in a hotel, then travel six hours another way to get back uh, to uh, Georgia. And so, you know, was there at any point in your time where you felt like, man, I, I might not be able to continue to do this? Yeah, you feel that way. You know, actually, when you're going through the divorce, I tell a lot of people, you know, when you're going through a divorce, sometimes it feels like war because it's two people that are actually vying for something, which is really control. You know, and, the, and the, the problem with that is that initially you're not thinking about the kids. You're thinking about winning. It becomes this, you know, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get that. And so a lot of times you can get lost in that aspect of the, the power, power struggle. Well, really, the kids are the one that's suffering. So. You know, fortunately, we went through, we didn't have to go through court. We went through mediation and I would advise any person that really wants to have say so in their kid's life to actually go through the court system. You know, if it's necessary to make sure that you have your rights. You know, I don't I didn't want to be in a situation where I was at the whim of their mother. Like if she decided they couldn't come. So I, I took that that stance and it worked out for both of us, because I think once there's a little alleviation in the power, everybody has to play fair mm -hmm. to a certain level you know and, and that's mm -hmm. it. that works for the betterment of the kids so that when you say you can be with them they now don't you know you're not absent and they're thinking okay my dad must have just stood me up you know i actually had some rights so for me that challenge was you know being there making sure that i had the rights to come see them and i'll be honest with you when it was time to hit the road i just got it in my mind i have to make this trip you know, I'm going to make this trip and we're going to, mm -hmm. it's going to be an adventure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, over time, you know, you explain it to them. They start to understand over time. We made this song and this honestly, we made this song called On the Road. And I made like this little rap song where I talk about on the road, on the road, daddy mm -hmm. the ride. And so every time I got on the road, I would play this song and we would all laugh. It became this endearing song for our road trips to come pick, you know, for dad to come pick up his girl. So that was something I had to find ways to get creative to actually make it easier for me yeah man and it, and it sounds like you did and, and i and i remember you know in the pre-show you you telling me that your parents were together over 50 yeah. years and that you know you grew up in the church in the pentecostal right. church you know during that 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 rough patch in your life you know was was there a scripture or a verse that came to mind that helped you get through, you know, those tumultuous times. Yeah, it was actually um, a verse taken out of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 22 in the sixth chapter, I believe, and it talks about training up a child in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, 
And honestly, that scripture doesn't mean that they won't fall off the wayside or they won't experiment and find out things. It just means that you have to give them something and they have to understand, first of all, God's first, what God expects from you. And also you have to set a precedent as a parent. So for me, the first thing I needed to do was I needed to acknowledge my faults, my children. I need to let them know that, hey, this was my fault. This this is between mom and dad. This is our fault, us being divorced. This isn't your fault. It's not because of you. Because oftentimes children can blame themselves for parents not working out. So we had to admit that this is our fault. And now I have still show them to be an example of how I wanted them to live. I didn't want to become the dad that was just, oh, now you're with me, everything is fine because I want you to like me. No, I want you to like me, but I want you to respect me as your father. And so I had to mm-hmm. focus on training them up in the way that I wanted them to be, but also understanding, you know, ethics and morals and just, you know, owning up to when you actually are doing something that may not be right, you know, in in life as it pertains. So for me, that scripture really kept me going. You know, it's like, okay, you have to be the one to instill it into your children. You can't let other people, other men impart into your children. You have to be there to put that into them. So that drove me to be present. Wow. You know, I'm reminded in the Bible that that it says some plants, some water, but God gets the increase. And so, you know, we as parents, sometimes we just never know, you know, the things that we're planting or watering within our child is, is it going to grow when is it going to grow if it's going to grow um but it but it sounds like you know the, the way you were training your child is saying hey look i'm not perfect i've made some mistakes but i'm trying to show you the way not of just myself but the way of god and how he designed this thing called parenting and having a relationship can work between you and i would I you agree and also to your point Chalma, there was one other verse that really stood out uh, Psalms 23:4, you know, talking about, yea, okay. though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. And okay. it's just one of those things mm-hmm. that when you're going through those type of situations, that's how it feels. You feel like, you know, the very thing, because you have to understand, for someone that really wants to be a parent and you really want to be present, man, it is heart-wrenching to not have your kids, because that's the most... That's the biggest investment, the the most important thing in my life with my children. So, you know, to not have them, it felt like mm-hmm. it was such a dark time, you know, and having to get that relationship to where they understood dad's here. That was something that really stood with me. So I held that scripture dear because I had to remind myself that, you know, Forrest, this will pass. You just have to stay on it. You have to stay on the path and be consistent. And this too should pass. So. Gotcha. And so let's let's kind of fast forward a little bit. You're talking about your first marriage, how it was, you know, um, parenting your kids, you know, in Georgia and them being in North Carolina. Let's talk about, you know, you deciding uh, to get remarried again and, and what that was like for your two oldest daughters. So when I started that process of even considering uh, getting married again, it was uh a young lady that I've known since we were eight years old. She's a really good friend of mine and we've known each other so long. And just during that process in time, you know, I, I never really thought that being married again was something I wanted to do, but 
as I started to, you know, court this young lady and I, you know, we started to take each other a little more serious, you know, I felt like I had to find a way to introduce my children and her in a certain light. So once I knew that I was serious about it, I talked with her, you know, I told her what I wanted to do. And then I actually had a separate conversation with my children. And with that process, it wasn't like a full immersion. I didn't just throw them together. You know, it'd be a period in time when they would come down, I would have her come over and, you know, she would maybe spend 30 minutes, you know, maybe read a book or just hang out, you know, just small things because I didn't want them to see her as a threat to us. I wanted them to understand mm-hmm. that there was mm-hmm. room for all of us together. So for me, it was just this strategy of trying to, you know, make this work. And, and once again, I know this doesn't work for everybody and some people don't go through all this, it's too much. And I get it, but in my certain situation, that's what I wanted to do. And so for me, it worked out, you know, we end up getting married five years later. Uh, I end up getting remarried. My children had the opportunity to get to know her for five years before they were thrust into this situation because now we're living together. So that was a new experience. You know, I'm now living with my my wife, but now, you know, it's like when they come down, we're all living together. So that was the initial process in introducing them to my wife and us coming together as a family before we started on that new a new journey. And so, you know, sometimes transitions can can be tough, you know what I mean? Because, you know, one thing is certain is change. Things don't always stay the same. And so, you know, um, you say, you know, you were slowly introducing your, your two oldest daughters to your second wife. Were they receptive of it or was there some resistance initially? They were receptive because they didn't they didn't see her as anything than just a friend or somebody who was just nice. You know, she wasn't like over all the okay. time to where it's like, okay, why is she here so much? So it was a gradual, it was gradual. Right. So they, they became gradually used to seeing her in certain regards. And so with that, they didn't they didn't fear her she didn't come off as somebody that was you know a threat to our relationship and so when the time came that I got serious and you know I wanted to get engaged and get married you know I talked to him I sat down and told him you know and we sat down and I've always done this with my daughters is I've always sat down and talked with them and had conversations because sometimes children understand a lot more than we give them credit for absolutely and me me having two children myself Sometimes I think my kids are just light years ahead of me when I was right. <laughs> their age, you know, uh, you know, because they just they yeah. catch on so quickly. I mean, they actually know? have access to the world. When we were growing up, for me, I know we had a couple of channels at cable, right? These children now, right. they have the access <laughs> to the world on their phones or their tablets. They can find out anything. They Google information. So, you know, I didn't like to treat them as if they were just children i like to talk to them with a certain level of intellect and responsibility to help them deal with that situation because i felt like it was the best time to actually talk was when they were with me that way if they had questions i could answer any questions and that they heard it straight from the horse's mouth there was no time for them to go off and just have to try to figure it out on their own you know what's what's happening yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, in this day and age, the best thing to do with, with some of our kids is just be transparent and, and just be honest, you know, 
because they're going to find out some some way or another that what the truth really is. Um, and so you, you, you end up marrying your, your childhood friend. Y'all have a third child. You know, what were some of the things you wanted to do differently as a parent or, or even in your marriage? Well, one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure the lines of communication stayed open. And I wanted to make sure we did things as a family. You know, it was, it was important for me to establish a family because once we had our daughter, Skylar, I wanted to make sure that everybody felt the same. I didn't want my first two children to feel as if they weren't as special because maybe I loved her more because I'm with their mother. So I wanted to make sure they were here when Skylar was born. So when she was a baby and came, mm-hmm. I wanted them to hold her. I wanted them to bond so that they saw her in this fragile state as just this little baby. And this is their job to protect your little sister. So once that was implanted, it was like, this is the relationship. And so for Skylar, she didn't know anything else other than these were her sisters. You know, they were here and sometimes they were gone. But at some point, mm-hmm. she really didn't understand. She just knew they were her sisters. And so for me, when we, when they were here, when we were all here, we made sure we ate dinner at the table together. All the iPhones, everything, tablets, it's got to go. We have to talk. We all have to spend time to a certain level to actually spend time together. So that was very important for me. And, you know, just making sure that they knew, you know, Jordan and Sydney, my oldest two daughters, knew that there was no difference in how they were loved or how they would be treated. Skylar would not be treated any different. A lot of times I would let them, hey, Skylar, you know, the old ways, I'd be like, y'all remember what happened, right? We got to teach your little sister. And so they had that hierarchy that worked out for them and they all respected that because everybody treated each other fair. So that was my goal in trying to do that. Yeah, and I mean, to some people, and I, I remember you mentioning this yesterday, that this this could sound like, you know, a fairy tale story or a story that just rides off into the sunset. But, you know, what, what tell some uh, tell the audience out here some of the, the work you had to put in in order to oh, make yeah, you make work. a great point. By no means was this uh, a great story. This was a story full of challenges it's almost like at the end where you say oh yeah you know they live happily ever after you remember all the stuff that happened in between to get to that <laughs> you know at, at this stage right, of my life, right, right. You know, my, my children are living with me during the quarantine before they come before they go to college but here's the things that you know as a man i had to deal with number one i can't stop their mother from dating so there are different guys and in that there's this thing well i have to kind of try to vet or find out who this guy is or have a conversation to establish the fact that I'm here for my children, right. but I'm doing this from a, a, another place. And I also have to understand she's not my wife. So there's this, there's this area of trying to make things work and you want things to work the way you want to run it, but it's not, you know, they didn't live with me sometimes. So mm-hmm. I couldn't run their house when they were in other States. There were things that we did differently. And so there was stuff that I didn't always agree with. You know, but at the same, and vice versa, I'm sure, vice versa, I'm mm-hmm. sure, but at the same point in time, man, it is such a challenge because when two people have separated, sometimes you don't get along and you know that. And so there's always the angst of having to deal with these problems and this lack of communication. So by no means is it a rocky road. Yeah. It's just that you have to recognize, you have to start making those decisions like, okay, what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, what's going to be the outcome? 
and how, you know how is this going to benefit anybody? Right. So I just had over time had to learn how to make these decisions. And, I, and I'll say this one point: one thing that I did do, you know, uh, to my ex is I asked for her forgiveness. And see, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about wow. me being wrong or me being right. It was more about me saying, Word. you know what? In order for me to move forward, I got to make sure that if I did something wrong, I need to acknowledge it and move on. And so it's not about what that other person do it, but you have to set yourself up for what you have coming down the road. Right, because you're not looking at the here and now, but you're looking at what's coming down the pipeline. And I believe for us, you know, that that takes a lot of humility to say, hey, I'm wrong. Because so often as men, we got a lot of pride. Our egos get hurt easily. And we like, I ain't backing down for nobody, you know? Um, but in, you know, in order for this thing to work, you, you, I think you had to realize like I only can control so much, and at the end of the day, I only really can control myself. Do you agree with that? You can only control yourself, and you have to own that when something doesn't work, it's two people that don't make it work. You know, it's two people that help this thing to fall out. Somebody could have initiated it, but at the same point in time, you know, you take those steps also. So. And it wasn't about just, you know, assigning who did what, because at the, you know, at some point that doesn't matter who did what. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not divorced. So the point is, I have to start to heal, you know, because when you get to that place, you have to learn what is best for you to heal, to become whole so that you can move to the next phase of life. Yeah, man. And it sounds like, you know, and, and this is just my opinion. It sounds like you guys, you and your first wife went from can't stand in each other to now just having conversations as parents yeah. and being and I important. Think it's also great to limit the conversation if you can do that. You know, don't, don't try to talk too much. Don't mm-hmm. try to be too friendly. Some people can do that. You know, that's just not one of my things. And for me, it's just, you know, we talk if we have to, you know, and it was great because at a certain point in time, mm-hmm. Kate, your kids get to the point where you can just call them. And, and most things you can talk to them about. But if it's absolutely necessary, you know, if it's something pertaining to them, we will talk about it. And we try to stick strictly to things that the parents need to be aware of. You know, we don't do a lot of small chat and chum it up. It's not that type of situation, but we do stick to what's pertinent for our children. And I think that's important because a wise man once told me that when when you're arguing or, or when you're in a situation, you have to stick to the issue. And so often you end up adding your feelings in and your opinion, but and right. then you get away from the issue. You know what I mean? Has nothing to do with nothing. You know what I mean? Instead of just focusing, like, what is the issue? You, you, you know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm still a work in progress, learning that over time. And so, you know, why do you feel like now you're able to talk about, you know, this situation versus, you know, yeah. you know 10, 15 years ago? Involved, you know, I was still in my feelings about a lot of stuff. And, you know, I hadn't gotten to certain places because I think over time you grow, if you act, if you proactively want to grow you will over time and I was not at that place this wasn't you know it was I was going through it we were going through the struggles you know there are times you're just like man I I wish blah 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 so at that when you're in that space it's no good to talk about it because your responses your conversation is going to be one-sided 
and it's going to favor you, you know, because everybody wants that sympathy of, oh, you're a great father and yada, yada, yada. But that's just because you're in your emotions and that's the feelings that people want to have. It helps them justify what they're going through. But I felt like, you know what? This is a situation y'all created, so deal with it. So I just had to live in the situation and right. you know, I just make the best of it. And I think that's what helped me at this place now where my children are both uh, young adults. It helped me get to this place, but it was through a lot of trial and error and a lot of just eating crow and dealing with the fact that this is hard. This is not a great situation. It is problematic, but it can be better. But I just got to stick with it. So yeah and i think what's interesting about this story is that you are going through these things on a personal level while still maintaining your professional work career i don't know if you know you were you know doing film at that time or 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 writing books or or just making an impact in atlanta but from the outside looking in somebody could be like man this guy's life is perfect he's he's making movies he's doing this doing that but not knowing That's right. that you're hurting on the inside if you learn to you know deal with it and i had a support team you know my mother you know my father my sisters you know my brother they were here for me you know i, I didn't know how to raise young women to be young ladies you know so they had they were very influential in being there and my sisters were always there if they needed anything to talk, you know. And I did my part as a dad. I played with them, right? <laughs> we played. We played hard. We stayed mm-hmm. up late. And we right. ate way too many sweets. But at the end of the day, <laughs> but at the end of the day, they came out. You know, they came out pretty level headed. I say, you know, when kids just come out level headed and respectful in this day and time, I think that's just a good thing. I just really wanted to raise people that were good citizens. You know, they're going to be independents, but I just want them to be right. good citizens and good people and just have a, a level head on their shoulders. And their mistakes are going to be their mistakes, but at least they can say, you know, hey, I have something else to pull from. You know, because I think it's important. A lot of times when kids don't have anything positive to pull from or they don't have any type of ethics or morals to pull from, a lot of times it's hard to give them a standard of how to do something because they're like, well, I've never seen that. So, you know, it was important, you know, we were able to give that to them. Right. You know, they were able to see that kind of standard. But I had a great support support team to help me uh, through this tumultuous time. And as an entrepreneur, as I was embarking on entrepreneurship, I let them be my motivation. You know, I was always like, how do I want my children to see me? What do I want them to get from this? What lesson? And I wanted to be like, listen, it doesn't matter where you are, but it's where you can go. You just have to put your mind to it. And so they got to watch that process as as things started to happen. And, you know, I was able to experience more success in my business and different ventures that I got involved in. So that was kind of my driving force to reach some of this pinnacle is for my children to actually see firsthand their father working and being present and actually achieving something. Yeah, man, and you. Not only that, you you were inspired by your daughters to uh, uh, write yeah, a children. When they were kids, you want to talk about that a little I bit. Used to tell them bedtime stories, and like I say, I'm I'm a creative. So I, in my space, I was making up these stories. And one day, I remember they asked me, they "said Dad, have you ever written a book? Why don't you write a book?" And I saw that look in their eyes, and I was like, you know, if I can write a book, they'll believe Dad can do anything. And every father wants to be that, and so yeah. I put it to the test. I want to be a superhero for him. Yeah, superhero. And that, 
summer when they were here, I, I wrote a book, uh, illustrated it, got it published, and actually had the school, the book picked up in the school system. So it actually did really well. And they, when they, they saw wow. me print the first version and I gave it to them. And, you know, I even had the opportunity to come to their school and read to their classroom. So that, that was a big event for me to come up to Carolina wow. and have the teachers go, oh, you're an author? Yes, could you come read to the class? I was like, eh. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, you know, it, like I say, the motivation. Yeah, I say it was just the motivation. They motivated. Hello? Gotcha. And what's the name of that book in case anybody wants to purchase it? And, and you can see that at Happy Hope Books, and it's okay. also available on Amazon. They, nice 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 and so you know as we're wrapping up man i i you know i just thank you you know for the opportunity of being a part of fatherhood fridays if it's one thing if if, if it's one thing you want your the audience here to take from today's story what is it and then my one b is if your daughters ever happen to listen to this episode what's one thing you want to share with them the one thing I would tell anybody or my children is to never give up on yourself. You're going to make mistakes. We are human. We are bound to do things wrong. We're bound to make mistakes. We're going to have bad days, mediocre days, and we're going to have good days. But at the end of it all, do not give up on you and don't give up on your kids. Well, you heard it first. Don't give up on you and don't give up on your kids. It's not over until you decide to quit. Um, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, so I will fear no evil because I understand that God is with me. And God is with Forrest Tuck today. And so I wanted to thank him for being a part of Fatherhood Friday season five. If you enjoyed what you're hearing today or it moved you in any kind of way, feel free to donate by going to Google, typing in Fatherhood Fridays, apostrophe S. Look for uh, the subtitle Anchor FM. Click on it and you can support anywhere from 99 cents to $4.99 to $9.99. Like the slogan says on the logo, the last thing you could do is listen follow and reshare that's how the word gets out that's how we continue to expand and grow and make this the best podcast for fathers men and women alike until then this has been Chalmer and Forrest and we will see you next week on Fatherhood Friday season thanks a lot Chalmer talk to you later man And here's a sneak peek into next week's Fatherhood Friday episode. He noticed that I had requested to be an assistant coach. And so he started talking to me about, hey, I I noticed you want to be a coach. You want to be an assistant coach. Why not be a head coach? And I told him, I said, I've never coached before. I know nothing about it. I know how to play the game, but I do not know how to coach at all. And so that's why I put assistant. He goes, look, they're four, dude. He goes, they're four years old. You teach them how to hit a ball, teach them how to catch and teach them how to run the bases. You don't have to teach them anything else. You just teach them the basics. And I I thought, all right, he talked me into it. So.